With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Dead in Sports. This is the place where sports opinions collide. Dead in Sports. I'm your host, Kenneth B. Edge. Coming at you live via Zoom. Um, this is our redraft that we talked about doing last week. We didn't get a chance to do it um, that that Friday or that Saturday, but we're here now. Uh, joining me, as usual, we got Shelton J. Hey, man. What's going on, bro? Nikki Ducey. What's going on? What's good? BZ430. What up, though? And P4247. What they do? Yep. So, uh, so yeah. So we're gonna talk about um, obviously the Jimmy Butler thing. We promised you guys that was coming, and uh, we're also gonna do the redraft, as you see by the title, and uh, and some other stuff as well. I, you know, the Last Dance premiere last night. So a whole bunch of stuff, man. But you know, we um we're on a short time frame somewhat, so we're just gonna go ahead and get started. All right, let's hit him with the Jimmy Butler. Uh, we've been having them wait for long enough. Uh, we all listened to the interview, or if, I don't know if, uh, if J, uh, JJ Reddick got a video uh, of his podcast, but uh, it was an interesting conversation. Oh, he does. It was an interesting conversation nonetheless. Um, I, I, for me personally, it doesn't really get – the good stuff doesn't happen until, like, what, the last 40, 50 minutes of the, of the podcast, at least for me as far as when you want – the shit that you want to hear from Jimmy Butler as far as what happened in Philly. Um, so I wanted to get y'all thoughts on uh, just that part of, like, did this make did this interview make y'all look at Jimmy Butler? Did it make me look at – it didn't make – you tell me, did it make made us look like look at Jimmy Butler different? Yeah. No, not really. I mean, it didn't – I never – you know, I guess from the outside looking in, I never thought that he was – you know, a asshole or whatever, whatever, even though he owned up to it in the interview. But, um, yeah, I just always thought he was just a competitive kind of like, I guess, kind of like throwback type of player, whereas it's like he ain't with that soft shit. He just want to go out there and compete at the highest level, and, and he's not he's not afraid to back down from nobody. That's how I took it from, yeah. this, from this entire interview. And he, he seems like he's always been a straight shooter to me too. Like so, what he says, he means, and he stands behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like Steve, like Stephen Jackson, Captain Jack. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I love dudes like that, man. I would love to play. I love playing with playing basketball or hooping with dudes that has that mentality or that or that's kind of like that. Because I feel like I'm going to war with somebody that's gonna go to war with me. You know what I'm saying? So I had I had no issue with it. 
Now, I didn't change my perspective on Jimmy Butler at all. Um, I think that when you have a chip on your shoulder um, the same way that Jimmy has, you know that there's just a certain level of respect, honor, and leadership that it may, that, that, that an organization, um, a coach, people in, in position of leadership need to have. And um, I think for me, it, it opened my eyes more so to the lack of those things that Philly has more, more so than me looking at Jimmy different. Jimmy has been consistent. You know what I'm saying? I think that for me, listening to that interview, it made me look at Philly a lot different. Yeah, I, I think um, I found it very insightful, very revealing um, about a lot of things. But mainly, I'm, I'm 100% with FIFO. It really was a, a, a huge indictment on, on Philly, not necessarily the players, but the leadership and the coach. And um, kind of to also go back to what B was saying about um, Jimmy Butler as well, man. It just shows that he's a stand-up guy and that he's vilified um, in the media because we had uh, J.J. Reddit basically corroborate some of uh, the perceptions in terms of the Portland meeting and how that was portrayed in the media versus what actually happened. And J.J., uh, you know, you heard him on there, man. He, you know, if if it was the way it was, I don't think he would have, you know, lied about that. I think he would have been very forthcoming. So I think that told me that we have to be mindful of framing in the in the NBA or just media, sports media in general, when it comes to certain players and their characters. So, um, but yeah, I mean, because Jimmy said it. He said when he got there. Uh, the first two weeks, he said, I don't know anybody. I'm going to just sit here and just chill because there's a certain image that people have of me that um, that isn't true. So I'm going to just take a back seat. And that's what made me look at Jimmy differently um, because going into this interview, I was I've, I've kind of been very critical of Jimmy Butler as far as like the way he goes from just a secondary source standpoint when I'm reading all this information about that's coming out when he's with these different organizations and how he turns a lot of people off as – what it seems from based off the reporting that I was like, what are you doing all this for? Like you should be more of a team player. You should be more accommodating to your teammates. But after this interview, listening to how JJ praised him, just how he thinks and how he talks, it makes a lot of sense. So when I'm seeing, so when I'm just going back and forth, as far as what I've been reading to how he actually is, it makes me think like, Oh, I should have, I should be more on his side than the media side. I should be listening to, uh, the results more than the actions because clearly we just watched a, a documentary of a man who is hard on his teammates because he wants to win. And we glorify that for the nineties. But nowadays I think for me, I've kind of shunned that. So coming out of that interview, I, I've got to gain a lot more respect for Jimmy Butler and it kind of validated my uh, thoughts on the 76ers organization as far as that whole rebuild process, even up till now, like he kind of definitely, uh, confirm some of my uh, thoughts as far as how that organization has been run. Nick, you're such a millennial, bro. Like, like the, fa- the fact that, like, like look, I, even though I know I'm a millennial too by, by the year that I was born, I still have, like, some of the ideologies of the, the previous generation, especially when it comes to sports and stuff like that. Like, the fact that, like, I knew for a fact that Jimmy Butler in Minnesota went into practice – called out Cat and Wiggins 
and bust their ass with second, third, fourth stringer, people from the grocery store. It didn't matter. But the fact that how the media portrayed that as a negative thing, I was sitting there. I'm like, no, like that, that's what your best player should do. Your mm-hmm. best player should challenge every other person in that organization, from the owner down to the to, to the damn ball boy. But for me, better. But for me, it was just more about like not everybody learns the same way. So it seems like for me at the time, it was just like you're doing all this rah-rah shit, but it's not getting you the results that you want, let alone mm-hmm. it's, it's not even keeping you on that team. So why are you keep doing that? And they, they, keep, and they made, what, what the media did was they made that seem like it wasn't about basketball and making people better. They tried to make it seem like they vilified him for being mm-hmm. outspoken and feeling like he felt and tried to make it seem like he was just bullying at that point. So that's the difference. That's a different word today. Bullying is the word. It's the, it's a bad thing as opposed to then, you know, when you you are a stand up guy, you just want the best from everybody around you. And, and that's really what you're trying to get at. It, it is is the fact that if you're competing for a championship or you're trying to get the organization to a point to start truly competing for a championship outside of talent, that 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 journey is going to be difficult. And if you think that me coming at your neck at practice is hard, what do you think is going to happen when you know Facts. four fouls? When 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 Wiggins is like three for thirteen, Facts. And down seven with four minutes to go in game six, and if we lose, we go home. It's harder this practice or that situation. This practice, me getting on your ass, get you ready for that moment. Cat, no, you can't foul in these last four minutes. Wiggins, I know you've been struggling, but you know what? Even though you may not hit this jumper, I need you to get a couple of defensive stops. I need to be able to call y'all out when all of the pressure is on you and you not fold. And if you're folding in practice, trade me. Yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can, how can I go to war with you when you phone in damn practice, man? In practice? Yeah. Practice? What yeah. we talking about practice? Come <laughs> on, man. Come yeah, on. Get, get your ass on somewhere. So yeah, let man. me ask y'all something from listening to it. Hold on. The reason why I'm not disagreeing with anything you just said, FIFA, my thing was more of I didn't think there was a conversation. Like, when Jimmy Butler was describing, like, bro, like, I'm not – like, I'm honest. Like, I can come up to you and talk to you like I am and and – and uh, elaborate on how I'm feeling about certain things. And if I don't see a result happen, then I'll take it another way. I didn't think that's what was going on. I thought Jimmy was just one way. Like, that's how he acts. That's how he is. But I can see there there's more to him, which is what he elaborated on. Like, I can do it in a different multiple ways. Like, I, I didn't even say shit when I first got here. I was quiet. So I can I know that there's more ways he can communicate himself. So I didn't think that's what was happening. That's why I reacted to the way – he was like, quote unquote, bullying those players. And I'm like, if this is what you always do, then you're going to get the same results. But if, but from what I've learned is that he's communicating in different ways with other teammates, what he likes to be done or what he thinks should be done. And they, if they don't listen and then they still lose, then that makes sense. But Nick, but Nick, like, 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 I think, I think that 90% of people that play basketball, their persona on the court is different than them off the court. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the reason why I say that is, is because I, I, I've told this story several times. Everybody knows Modest Media. Modest Media is the most calm, cool, collective dude I know. You know what I'm saying? But on that basketball court, he's a different animal. Even though I know I can be rah-rah, 
bro, as a coach, as a, as a basketball player, it, it's a whole nother level. And I understand that about basketball players. So when I saw that story about Jimmy Butler coming at his teammates, I'm like, that's 100%. That's what needs to happen. Like you have to be tough on the basketball court. So that way everything else is easier. Everything else now goes into place because guess what? If I'm checking you and I'm cussing you out and I'm telling you how you're not doing well on the basketball court, guess what happens after? To practice and we go back to the crib where like you know what let's go get some drinks you know what let's go chill now we can have a civilized conversation based upon what happened but you need to be able to maintain your even if you don't maintain your composure you want to punch me and we fight that's 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 good too that's good too because we got to be able to talk it out on the back end but at the end of the day on the basketball court conflict is not a bad thing thing it's gonna happen man it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's it's been it's been going on since before social media (laughs) like i'm pretty sure isaiah magic kareem all them them probably was arguing with their teammates bill russell like i'm pretty sure they all was was getting on their teammates i'll give you i'll give you a prime example i'll give you happened on the documentary we saw it in the documentary uh yesterday austin rivers austin rivers was a, a top high school prospect Right. Obviously, his dad, Doc Rivers, coached the Boston Celtics. Obviously, he will he would come to practice and stuff like that. He would play KG, Paul Pierce, all of these guys one on one. And if Austin Rivers lost, he wanted to fight, bro. And we talking Austin Rivers, man. Who Austin Rivers is a role player in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? That just shows the level of emotion, the level of engagement. How 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 emotionally distraught you can get when things don't go your way. You know what I'm saying? And I think, again, as a leader, you got to be able to display that without the media or any outside bodies criticizing that. Because at the end of the day, that makes a team better. That galvanizes a team. So that way they understand when the tough get going is like, we've already experienced that. We've already been through that. We know what it is. Now all we got to do is just raise our game, raise our expectation and let's go get it accomplished. And going off of that leadership and how that translates to the organization um, holistically, you you guys mentioned about the 76ers uh, and your viewpoints before and after listening to the interview. So I want y'all to elaborate on that as far as how do y'all feel about the organization during Jimmy Butler's time and after Jimmy Butler's time? I'll put it to you like this. I was most um, – it was Brett Brown. You know, the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're in these meetings – um, you're doing film study, but you're just like kind of just going through the motion. And what Jimmy was saying is like, how is this getting us better? You know what I'm right. saying? So, so to me, that that's coming from the, the Spurs coaching tree and also seeing how Philly did play hard at times. Before they even got the Jimmy Butler and the Tobias Harris's of the world, once they drafted, um, you know, all of the youngins and they were going through the process – you saw that that team at times played hard. So for Jimmy and also JJ Reddick to kind of see it through the same lens that is like, yo, what, like, like what the hell are we doing? And those are two NBA veterans. That's yes. an indictment on Brett Brown holistically. And I was just like, I thought he was better than that. It definitely is an indictment on Brett Brown. You know, I've been watching Philly for a few years um, with the NBA league pass and watching just about every game, but um Leadership has definitely been lacking. It's not a it's not a question about that. And you see that with development of players. You look at Ben Simmons, we talk about him shooting and stuff like that. Maybe with another coach, 
he would have at least worked on his game a little bit more and started showing that shot. So that that alone shows me that we're not getting the leadership in Philly that we needed. Um, but my question, too, to y'all is, what do y'all think J.J. Reddick's role in all of this is? Because to me, um, as a player, I feel like if, you the, if you're a veteran, you're the team leader, shouldn't you have been the one to kind of take Jimmy under your wing and say, look, this is how it is, X, Y, Z? Or shouldn't you be the one stepping up saying something? JJ was was, uh, echoing the same thing that Jimmy was like, how can Mm -hmm. I take a leadership role if I don't know where we're going? Like, there's no, there's no sense of direction from, it seems like from multiple levels throughout the organization, like any room you went into, there was people saying one thing and doing another. Well, let's, let's give just a little bit of leeway to um, Elton Brand because he was new in that situation. Right. You know what I'm saying? So typically when we talk top down in an organization, the owner, depending on the owner, we don't really take too much of what he's saying. It really starts at the general yeah. manager because yeah. the GM is the filter for what the owner wants to do, say, and direction. Elton yeah. Brand was really new there. Mm-hmm. But Brett Brown has been there from the from day one of the process. Right. And I get I'm, I'm, now, now ultimately it's Brett Brown's fault. But my thing is, as a player, you know, we talk about being former players. You have a team leader that and that is somebody that's in charge, that's the leader on the team. Like, we, you know, we talk about Jordan all the time. Jordan would have had that meeting, I would have thought, with Elton when he came in. Like, look, what are we going to do? Like, what is this looking like? Because this ain't really – you know, somebody has to sit down with the owner – or the GM, rather, and try to sit down with the head coach and say, well, look, I'm representing the team. That shouldn't have been Jimmy because Jimmy's new. That mm-hmm. should have been JJ because JJ was the veteran leader of that team. So it's more on him to kind of take that buffer – but but at the same time, maybe JJ doesn't have that voice, and maybe maybe that's not naturally or comfortably where JJ wanted to be. Maybe mm-hmm. he's more of like a a coach's um, voice in terms of the players and individual um, work habits and things of that nature, and being a veteran in that sense. Because I think JJ knew, like you know, he he signed a pretty short term deal. He knew he wasn't necessarily going to be there long term. And J.J. is a journeyman. J.J. is not part of the process, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, I don't know if J.J. felt like that was his place to do or say something like that. And then when you look at Embiid and Ben Simmons, is that in their DNA to be no, them? No, or to I, do I, wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect to be them. Who was the team captain last year for them? Let me see who it was because I don't even know. Uh, why, why are you looking that up, Shelton? I want to get B and uh, Ken's thoughts on it as far as the 76ers and how they've been hold, uh, your thoughts and perceptions on it before and after the interview. Well, um, to hear Jimmy and JJ talk about the coaches' session, um, that was concerning for him to not coach to not call anybody out, um, for him to make those sudden changes in the playoffs that people didn't seem to really agree with. Um, it shows that he's really holding them back. And for them to get as far as they got with him seemingly maxing out his coaching potential or lack thereof, I only imagine where they could be right now if they had another coach and that actually did some coaching that actually had more different ideas on what to do 
with that roster with Embiid, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, all those guys. Um, they're winning a lot of this off talent. You know, and, and I'm not discrediting Brett Brown. He, he's had a lot to do with it as well, but he's also the reason why they hadn't gotten to, to the title. And we look a lot at the players, what Ben Simmons isn't doing, uh, why Embiid can't stay healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But in spite of all of that, they were a shot away, a shot that bounced off the rim for like seven seconds or so, or seven bounces. So, um, so yeah, man, it, it just told me that he will be the reason why they don't win a title. B, what's up? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my perception of them before that interview was, you know, something must be going on in the front office for them to, to break that up and not try to, you know, give it a, give it another run after they came, like Ken mentioned, a, a, a couple of bounces away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals against Milwaukee, which they actually had a chance. But And then after that interview, it just kind of solidified, like, yeah, that's why, because of coaching. And I think – I want to say we've kind of – preach or kind of question Brett Brown in the past years. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So and I think that interview just really shed some light on to where we're like, okay, this is why this is why Sixers are gonna never get to where we think they can get to. And this is why they haven't been, you know, getting to that next level before that interview. So yeah, it's 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 the coaching man. So, I mean this and that shows people always try to like knock coaching like oh coaching doesn't play that much of a part or coaching doesn't it does man like you you really got to put these players in position to succeed as a coach that's like your job as a head coach to really try to now of course yeah you're not out there literally playing the games and stuff but you're still putting your players in position and people can attest this as a coach you you have to put your players in position to be successful and brett brown is just he's just not doing it i mean he's he's got them up to a point but to, to get them over that hill and to the promised land, as we would say in in NBA in NBA terms, he's not he's not the coach to do that. So I think they should look at getting another coach, and that can better um, better develop Ben Simmons a little more. I mean, Ben Simmons is a hell of a talent, uh, and maybe we just maybe we still got to give him a couple more years to develop a jump shot. Cause like I said, Jason Kidd he went a whole bunch of years before he ended up being a knockdown three guy. So maybe we might see that with Ben Simmons in another two, three, or four years. I don't know. But he should definitely develop into having a respectable jump shot. It's a piggyback off of what B's saying. <clears throat> I think the biggest measurement of how good of a coach is based off of what the players do on the court is it's all about execution. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and when I say execution, it doesn't mean make or miss the shot. Right. It means how – how on a string is everybody together, mm-hmm. right? And we saw, and I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead to the Jordan documentary or the Bulls documentary, but when, when Pippen wasn't there, Steve Kerr said that we had to readjust because Pippen did so many things on this court. And mm-hmm. eventually the Bulls got it together, right? He right. had to overcome that. But the reason why Pippen was so important was because Phil Jackson made Pippen so important. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Jackson understood, <laughs> yeah. okay, this guy can do all of this. We don't really need a point guard. We're going to let him do what he do. You know what I'm saying? So so that's on the coach, the execution. And like you said, it's, it's even the adjustment that they made. Like, like he talked about him playing off the ball and him playing on the ball, thinking he should be on the ball more, making that adjustment for that series. It's, it's, it's a lot into it, man. It's – it's a lot. This X's and O's just are just as important as the plays. Now, coming down the stretch, 
get the man, the best man with the ball in his hands. But during the game, it's got to make sense, and and that's what that's what I think he's lacking. And and for me, it was just again confirmation that Red Brown should have been fired two years ago. Uh, I think they should have got somebody like Mark Jackson in there. I know I've been everybody's been preaching for Mark Jackson, but I think he was actually one of the best coaches for this situation when it comes to just uh, a foundation of leadership. And I don't really know what happens to Philly after this because it sounds like there's a lot of talks of potentially blowing up the team as far as getting rid of either Embiid or Simmons. And from what I am heard from an interview, it sounds like it was just one coach away from changing up that whole dynamic and that whole team. So – but at this point in time, at this point in time, it seems like the players in the organization are setting their ways of being dysfunctional. Because I don't see how this turns around in a year or two. To be honest, if it's this dysfunctional from the GM to the head coach to the players, that's not a quick turnaround. I don't think they're setting their ways. Uh, you just need the right coach. You need a, a you know, as the saying goes, a leader among men. Yes. And, and yeah, he'll he'll he'll. But they have to fire Brett Brown first, and they don't seem and they read. They but just that's read on the assumption that Brett Brown is gone. That's what I was saying. But I'm saying, like, they're content with how things are by re- that re-signing of his contract. Oh, but they'll move off of him. Yeah. I, I, I think there are rumors before, in before they trade, Before they give up on Embiid and, as a, and then Simmons as a unit? Yeah. It would I be a smart probably, thing to do, yeah. They were, they were talking about getting rid of Brett Brown um, this year, weren't they? It's out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that they'll move on. I, I don't think it's a problem. I think that they gave him one more, one more shot. And I don't think they're going to be happy with the – well, I know they weren't happy with the results with where they finished this year. So I think that they'll be I, – I think he'll be out next year. That's what I think anyway. And um, I think he should be out by the end of this year, honestly, because the, the, the Brett Brown, especially after last year, was on a very short leash, right? Because mm-hmm. with all of that talent, let's be honest, they had the most talent in the East. It wasn't mm-hmm. – Oh, yeah. Should have won. And obviously they were a shot away, but they shouldn't have been in that position. They they should have won the East. I think Brett Brown, if they would have won the East, he would have been we, – we wouldn't have questioned him. But because they lost, he was on a very short leash. Yes. Obviously, injuries things happened. But they, Philly shouldn't have been where they were, even given everything that happened. Yeah. Right? We, we think, yeah. And, and I think because of that, 100% Brett Brown got to go. Yes. Now, whether they make a, a, a roster move, you know, blowing it up or just – redirecting their direction, something has to happen. Mm-hmm. One, if not both of those things need to happen. So so I think now, now we got to look at Elton Brand because this is why, you know, you're a GM. This is why, you know, you get paid the big bucks to make these type of decisions. So before, like I said, we, we had to give Elton Brand a little bit of leeway. He was brand new. He shook it up. He made them, in terms of talent, a championship contender. Obviously, it didn't work out, but that's what you pay them to do is to move things to, to elevate. And if it doesn't work out, okay, how do we – Sam Presti, Jerry Krause even, you know what I'm saying? How do we redirect in, in a very quick manner without losing our trajectory to compete? So, so now we got to look at Elton Brand, and now the onus is on him. Now the eyes need to mm-hmm. be on Elton It's no longer on Brett Brown. I, don't, I, I wouldn't even say it's on Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. We kind of know what they are. We know what they should be. But that, but, 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 but that's going to be up to the next coach. And You're now right. we got to look at how Elton Brand handles and manages this situation because if he mishandles this, 
Philly's championship run is over, and you're going to be going through another process. Right. And you're right. And I, and I, uh, to correct myself, we're saying the same thing. He's not going to be back next year is what I was saying. Okay. And, and well, the thing about it is – He's signed until 20, uh, 2021, 2022. That don't matter. That don't matter. The thing about it is what, what – what and you're right about the Elton Brand thing, and to expand on that a little bit, Elton Brand brought in um, Al Harford, which I thought was a horrendous move. Personally, I did. So that was all chips in, though, with him and Tobias Harris. So they got all their chips on the board now. So it's really up to getting getting the right coach in there to coach this team, if it's possible, or they're going to blow it up. You thought it, you thought it was a horrendous move? Why you thought it was a horrendous move? I think I, I that was, it was it a was good a, move, locker room, Ross. You're talking about locker? the contract, right? Not the, not the yeah, actual the, stuff. Yeah, the contract. Oh, what, okay, okay. What okay. they gave him. Yeah, that was a lot of money, man, to give up um, for uh, a duplicate player. We already got a big man on that squad. They didn't need Al Harford in there playing out of position, which is what they have right now. So he's playing the four. Well, now Harford is a five. He can't play the four anymore. Not anymore. So it's with Joel Embiid. Unless Joel Embiid goes down, then it makes sense. But otherwise, it just didn't make sense to give him all that money for four years. So as we were looking at the 76ers organization, my last question to y'all really about this interview was like, how do y'all look at the Miami Heat organization after hearing about what Jimmy Butler had to say about how Pat Riley runs it, the guys that they got in that locker room, and basically how uh, how competitive it is, even though they are going through their post heatles you know, rebuild? I'm not surprised because <laughs> look at every place Pat Riley has been, right? Like he was with the Lakers. We know even though they were Showtime – it wasn't they didn't they, they didn't lack for scrappiness. You know what I'm saying? Like like those boys were still scrappy. We know his tenure in New York, what that looked like. You know what I'm saying? And now even um pre heatles we know what Miami was about. Right? Like we knew what Tim Hardaway, Jamal Mashburn, Thunder Dan, and Alonzo yeah. Morgan was about, right? We we knew that. That that was mm-hmm. Pat Riley. We knew um, when the Heatles came and, and they put a defensive first mindset, we knew what that was about. We knew Eric Spoelstra. We knew, like like there is no smokescreen with a Pat Riley led organization. We're yes. gonna work hard. We're going to get players that you know if they're not the most talented, they're gonna work it harder than any other person. You know what I'm saying? So that culture is always set. And and I think the most interesting thing is looking at it from Pat Riley's perspective is that he's still able to accomplish that in 2020, right? When, when we're talking about how players are soft and they're too friendly and they're this and they're that and all this, that, and the third is that Pat Riley is still able to get that culture set and it's, it, it, the ball just keeps rolling. Um, and when you look at the, the draft pick, right? Bam out of bio. I, I, I question Bam. You know what I'm saying? When he was drafted, not because of the talent, just because of fit. Obviously, they still have Hassan Whiteside, but I knew he was going to work hard. I just didn't know what 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 what's his role. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I when when they drafted him, I thought Udonis Haslam off bat. Obviously, mm-hmm. the game wasn't there just yet. Bam is added to his game. He got jumper and stuff not, and, and things like that now. But I saw Udonis Haslam. So I knew eventually it would work, but there was other things that needed to happen. When you look at Duncan Robinson, when you look at um, – what's the other white boy that they just drafted? Um, Tyler Hero. Um, Hero. Yeah. When, when you look at all of those other guys, like those guys weren't necessarily highly touted, highly rated. So you knew that they were going to work. 
And for Jimmy Butler being drafted 30th, being being they didn't even play for his first two years. Like you knew what he was about and you knew that that type of moxie lend itself well with what Pat Riley wants to bring to the table. So hearing certain things about the Miami Heat organization, I've been knew that. I've been knew that about Pat. So that was not new for me, you know, at all. It, I, I just, for me, it, you know, when you started thinking about, okay, where can Jimmy go? You start thinking about fit because it wasn't necessarily about winning. And I, and, and I said that, um, at the end of last year, right? Because I felt that if he really wanted to win, stay in Philly because they just have the most talent. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that the Miami move isn't for winning. It's just they aren't necessarily a championship contender year one. You know what I'm saying? But you knew that it was going to be a good fit. That all of these things, how the media was spinning it and all, that wasn't going to come out of Miami because Pat Riley don't run his ship that way. Mm-hmm. And it goes to show you, too, back to what the, we were talking about, about player development. Like you said, look at a team like like Miami with Bam and with uh, Tyler and them. Those guys developed quickly because they had the right coaching and structure around them. If Philly had that type of structure, then we'd be talking about a championship. You know what I'm saying? So that's the difference. Bam has developed. It took Bam, what, a year? About two. About two. About, about two to get where he is now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And here we are still look what years this with Ben Simmons. We still waiting on Ben to, to to even get, you know, we're not even turned the corner yet. And Joel is nice because Joel has natural abilities, but we still waiting on him to, to develop the leadership part. You know what I'm saying? The maturity still is not there. So that's what I'm saying about Philly. And that's what that that's why, you know, everything that he said was corroborated because we know that by watching Philly that it's a soap opera. So yeah. I think uh, I think what it what it told me. Um, I got three things. They're all quick, actually. One culture matters a lot, and if you have the right organizational organizational culture, um, it has a significant bump in everybody. If this was two K, those ratings would go up plus two plus three for certain players. Uh, the second thing is that. We haven't heard any noise out of Miami from Jimmy, not a peep, um, because he's at a place that fits who he is as a person. 100%. And the third thing, and this is my takeaway from that, watching that whole thing, was that for a lot of players, the NBA is just another damn job. Because <laughs> they, yeah. the things yeah. that they were complaining yeah. about, the hotel yeah. day, yeah. the restaurants, why we got to uh, – uh, work doing All Star Weekend. Why are we not getting tickets? If that didn't sound like some regular people stuff, it really did. <laughs> it really did. Dude. Yeah, man. So that that those are my takeaways. B, what was yours? Um, I thought you asked me already. For for Miami, like his thoughts on Miami. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Um, I. I echo Ken's sentiment because when I when I was when I uh sentiments exactly when I was watching that I was like man culture having a good team structure and culture it really helps it really helps the success because if you look at it most teams that are successful or that go on runs for multiple years whether it be you know straight NBA finals or straight Eastern Conference or West Conference finals they have a great culture you know what I'm saying like yeah like the 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 Miami years was it the Heatles. The Heatles years, 
the Detroit Pistons runs from the from the 03 to like 08, like it was culture, man, all about culture. So when you have a, a good a good um a good system in, in place, you know, for your for your team to succeed, I think it helps, man. It matters, man. I think Butler, Jimmy Butler, and when he start, you can notice his face too. When he started talking about Miami, like his whole mood kind of changed. You know, he was all jokely and giddy and shit. But when it was like Philly, it was more like serious and like, all right, I'm trying to tell y'all what the fuck happened here while I was at Philly. But like when it was Miami, it's like, oh yeah, this shit is completely different. Like we something, something, something. Sposha, he he don't mind supposed to getting in people's, you know, getting in your face whenever it's something, you know, like Jimmy liked that shit. So when you when you in a in a in an environment like that. You know, I can see Jimmy probably staying there. Like, if, if if the culture stays like that, Jimmy could probably be like, "Look, I'm a, I'm a retire in Miami Heat. Like, I'm gonna stay here until my playing days are over." So, and it looks like the way he was talking to JJ, it seemed like he had that attitude. Like, he was gonna say that. Like, I just feel like this is where I'm. A, this is where I'm gonna finish my basketball career. And yeah, man, it, it was good to see that he perked up once he talk, started talking about the Heat organization. Because you know, culture matters, man. It, it definitely does when you plan for organization. And again, to piggyback off of what B's saying in terms of Jimmy Butler staying there, here, here's the thing, like, Jimmy wouldn't stay there if this is the roster from now until three, five years from now. But what do we know about Pat Riley? Oh, he going to make moves. Exactly. He's he going to hustle and bustle, boy. He is going to hustle he gonna and bustle. He's going to get some names in there. Yeah. Gonna, while Jimmy is here and Jimmy's still playing at this level, we got Bam and, and, and we got some of these other youngins, oh, we're going to get another name. We gonna get and he's gonna persuade. I don't know what the hell Pat Riley. I don't know what kind of mob ties he has, but but he gonna get somebody, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree with everything y'all said. I think with Miami, I thought Jimmy went there just because it's Miami, of course, nice weather and all that, and he was gonna get a pay. Uh, I think I don't know if, could Philly pay him more or as much as Miami did. He got more in Miami, I believe. So yeah, I thought he was just going for the paycheck and the good weather. But it sounds, but like obviously listening to this interview, it was like a baby bear situation where he was in Minnesota too soft. Uh, Philly was uh, this uh, this uh, functional. Uh, Chicago maybe was too hard, and Miami is now just right. Like it's it has everything that you will want. Chicago at least for was dysfunctional too. That 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 was the reason why he eventually wanted out. Once they got rid of um, who's my guy, uh, yeah. Once they got rid of Thibodeau, that. What, what what we know about Chicago is is that it's always been dysfunctional. They just have had success despite that. You right. Know what I'm and once Thibodeau got let go, there was no more guiding light for Jimmy. So Jimmy was like, all right, I'm out, which is the reason why when Thibodeau had all of the power in Minnesota, he made a trade for his guy. Jimmy was his guy. He got there. The, the, the rest of the young talent – wasn't ready for Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. And to me, that ownership needs to have that conversation with those players and be like, man the hell up. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get rid of Cat. At the end of the day, they, they finally got rid of Wiggins, but you're not going to get rid of Cat. Cat is going to be your future. So what did they do? They got rid of Thibodeau, then they got rid of Jimmy. Yeah, I just I just feel like I, I've gained even more respect from – Miami just like like FIFA like you mentioned like they always make moves like no matter you can look back for the last 20 years and they've always made moves to put themselves in the race to, to be competitive at least let alone to be a championship contender so I'm excited to see where Miami goes moving forward um I Giannis could put, potentially be you know groomed to go down there we you never know so I, I I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Miami has in store 
right. Uh, anything else on the Jimmy Butler interview? Y'all good? Yep. Yeah, I'm good. Yes, sir. All right, so let's get to it. This is the – what is this? The first 2011. edition? 2011. Yeah, it's the first edition, 2011 – NBA redraft. 2011, I thought it was 12. No, I'm just <laughs> 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 Bro, you was about to get booted out the damn chat. I know, right? <laughs> All right, so basically the way that we're doing it is that everybody has a particular pick. Who has the first pick? I do. Nick has the first pick. Who got the second pick? I do. Shelton got the second pick. Third I pick? Third. I, got the, I got the third pick. You got third Ken got fourth, and I got fifth. We're all going to have three draft picks. So, obviously, number one has number one. Number five has number five. The second pick will be whoever has number five has number 10, and then up to number 15. We know that's one outside of the lottery, but to make it work, that's what we're doing. So, the draft order is number one, Cleveland, number two, Minnesota, number three, Utah, number four, Cleveland, number five, Toronto, Number six, Washington. Number seven, Sacramento. Number eight, Detroit. Number nine, Charlotte. Number 10, Milwaukee. Number 11, Golden State. Number 12, Utah. Number 13, Phoenix. Number 14, Houston. And number 15, Indiana. And that's where we're stopping our redraft. All right. So, uh, so Nick. Nick, you're on the board. You're on the board, Mom, man. Number one with Cleveland. Now, remember that roster. That's pre-LeBron. This is post-LeBron. Yeah, post-LeBron. Mm-hmm. Byron Scott is the head coach. Byron Scott is the head coach. And from looking at this roster, their guards are trash. Um, so, of course, I'm going to actually – Kyrie only played 10 games of Duke. So who, who you He only played with? 10 games of Duke, but he was – shit, he, he balled out. And based off of the Cavs uh, roster and based off of how I know that head coach is, since we just got done having a conversation about fit and culture, I need a, I need a guard that can get his own regardless, and I'm going to go with Kyrie Irving. So you're still taking Kyrie. Even though today you know. Even though today you know. Hey, man. Let that man Kyrie be cool. Had pick, man. No, no, he already I'm, took him. I I'm, I'm picked him, but I'm saying I'm going off of the rookie year. You always say three to five, and it's three to five. He came out busting. So I'm, go- I'm going with uh, Kyrie Irving because, again, based off of just the team itself, I can't really expect the Cavs to develop any other player really at, at, to the level of a Kyrie Irving. So I'm just trusting off the skills of a, of a, of a guy coming straight out of college. All right, number two. So it's, so it's on me. Yeah, with Minnesota. Yes, for Minnesota. Who you yes. take? I, first off, I want to thank Nick so much, man. I appreciate you. Uh, I'm taking Kawhi Leonard, of course. Mm-hmm. The greatest player in that draft, the, the mm-hmm. true number one pick, Kawhi Leonard. Who's been better? Nope, like, you know what I'm saying? in this draft. In this draft, there's not a question as the overall number one is Kawhi. So I. I'm definitely taking him on that Minnesota roster. That roster needed leadership anyway. And what better leader? I was, I was prepared to take Jimmy Butler second, but he looked out for me, so I appreciate that. I got Kawhi Leonard. Ooh, all right. You know my third hey, pick. Wait, wait, hold on. Before you go, B. So, Shelton, who are some of the players that was on that roster that you felt that Kawhi would have, uh, you know, done good with? Um, on that roster, they had uh, – Michael Beasley was there. I like Michael Beasley always. I think he didn't get shot. But Kevin Love was in there. 
and mm-hmm. that was he was actually the man on that team. And I think mm-hmm. Kawhi would have teamed up nice with Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. Point guard situation, they had Ricky Rubio already. And um JJ Burrell was there too for the for the backup point guard spot. But Ricky Rubio, he probably needed a little help. And I thought about, you know, like Kyrie at that that number two position. Mm-hmm. But once again, Kawhi is just outstanding. Just, you know, he's just gonna bring that work working mentality. That's why I said second my second pick would have been Jimmy Butler for the same reason. That mm-hmm. team just needed some toughness to it. And Kawhi is is, is it. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been a question. He was the best plus you know, we taking the best player in that draft, knowing what we know today. What we know today. Period is Kawhi. It's not right. even yeah. So B, you talk. Who you taking number three? I'm getting I'm 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 looking at their roster now with, with shooters. Give me Clay Thompson. Mm. Clay okay. Thompson. Man, like you gotta think at this time, Darren Williams was was easy like top five PG in the league. You had him. You still had Mimic O'Core who was solid. You had Paul Millsap who was solid. I had defensive presence in um, Andre Karolinko. Andre Karolinko. Yep. And I had and I had a young a young uh, Gordon Hayward who was just coming off his rookie year. Mm-hmm. If I had if you add Clay Thompson to this and I got Derek Favors, man, Roger Bell coming off the bench, man. Oh man, yeah. Clay to, but, but, and I'm looking at this as a GM of FIFO. I'm putting mm-hmm. my GM. I'm putting my GM. I'm not just gonna pick the best player. I'm picking that like I think the player that will fit. Yep. This particular roster well. That's that, as soon soon when Shelton picked this player, I was like, I already know who I got. Like Clay Thompson. <laughs> like yep. that shit gonna fit well. So so like, look before Ken Ken before you go, look, I I th- this is how I know that somebody just need to give me about. Three four hundred thousand a year to go run organization because on my draft big boy I don't know if y'all gonna be able to see it uh, maybe not nah, not really yeah it is what it is uh, Kawhi Leonard was number one on my draft big board Kyrie number two and Clay number three and it wasn't based off of who's drafting it was just based off of the talent in the mm-hmm. draft knowing what we know now mm-hmm. yeah all right so up. I'm up yep you're you're up next. And you are drafting for Cleveland again. Yeah, so this was tricky uh, because I'm drafting for the same organization mm-hmm. um, that that Nick is uh, with the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so he already took Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clay and Kawhi off the board. Clay and Kawhi are off the board. That team, I could have made do. Looking at that roster, I think they had uh, – uh, Antoine Jameson was on that team. I don't know if he came back for the next year, but they had a power forward. They had a center. Virajo was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I'm going to go Jimmy, man. We we need a small forward. They only had C.J. Miles and Lonzo Gee, Armory Caspi, and and that's it. So when mm. you got a Kyrie who's uh, a defensive sieve, um, he – has the grit and grind, and he's an offensive weapon. But I need I need that three solidified. Somebody's going to be a dog as well. So give me Jimmy Butler. I wanted Clay Thompson. I was hoping B wouldn't pick him. Um, but yeah, for this team, we need a three. So I'm gonna go with Jimmy. Yeah. I thought you was gonna find another K name. We was doing all K's: Kyrie, <laughs> Kawhi. <laughs> Now, yeah, I mean, for this team, I mean, I, I you know, I couldn't go Kemba, you know, because we already got Kyrie. So. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah. You give me Jimmy. 
and, and, and that's so crazy. Like on my big board, I literally have the first four picks that y'all took as the best options. Um, so I'm drafting fifth with Toronto. And when I look at their roster, um, you could tell that they're searching for a direction. They already have DeMar DeRozan, which is obviously the, the, the main component of moving that, that organization forward, but they didn't really have anything else. So with the fifth pick, um, originally Toronto took Jonas Valanciunas, but I'm taking Kemba Walker. Um, I want a dynamic backcourt. I want somebody um, that is clutch, which that is Kemba. I don't know too much about DeMar in terms of the clutch factor, but I think that that elevates that backcourt to one of the, the best in the league. So I'm, I'm taking Kemba number five. All right, number six, Nick, who you got uh, for Washington? For the Washington Wizards, uh, this one is actually tough since y'all, since Jimmy is off the board. I was hoping he was going to last a little bit, um, at least to this pick, because John Wall, obviously this is before Bradley Bill, but this is John Wall's team, and they do need a guard. Um, but since Jimmy's off the board, I'm going to select Marcus Morris, the, tw- the, the better of the twins who's been playing for Boston and now currently plays for uh, – the Clippers. Um, I just like his per- his aggressiveness, his toughness, defense. You could place him anywhere. He's a three and D guy, and he uh, he always seems to get his buckets and, and doesn't really rile the locker room like that. And I think he'll do well in Washington. Marcus Moore. Yeah, Marcus. Okay. Because uh, looking at their guard, looking at their forwards right now, they just got the names that just stick out to me is just Rashard Lewis, and and that's about it. So I think he could uh, balance having two good wings on the uh, – and he still got a young JaVale McGee who was balling back in the day. He wasn't balling. So, yeah, I, I think uh, Marcus Morris would have been good for this team. I, I definitely have to slightly disagree with you just because of the names that are still on the board. Um, I think that we all know, knowing now, JaVale McGee had all of the upside. He's just now realizing some of that today. But he – he never materialized into being one of the best centers in the NBA, right? During this time, he was he was rising up. This is before he got traded to Denver, where he got big paid. But he was he was a big dominant big man. But he was awkward. He never averaged more than twelve points. Look it up. Like he, he like he was. So to me, when you're leaving Nikola Vucevic on the table, which is a 2010 guy, you're also leaving. <laughs> You're also leaving Jonas Valanciunas on the table. You're also leaving Enos Cantor on the table. You know what I'm saying? All three of those guys, to me, are better than JaVale McGee has ever been. I'm looking at a guard-forward standpoint as far as combination because that's where, to me, that's they've kind of helped it with the guard with John Wall, but they need a better forward because as far as big man going, moving forward in the league, John Wall needed that more than a big man. Well, what about Tobias? To me, Tobias, Tobias Harris? Yeah, he's more versatile um, than Marcus. Slightly smaller. I actually I like Marcus more than Tobias. I like Ooh. Marcus more than Tobias. To that's not honest. what the paychecks say. Wow. That's not what the market say. But that's cool. Um, I mean, I'm looking at Tobias now. Tobias ain't doing shit for Philly, so keep it a buck. He's almost a 20 point scorer. He has been. Yeah. He can play, man. Mm-hmm. He can play. Yes, sir. All right. So number seven. We got Sacramento, and then that is going to go to Shelton. Who are you taking to Sacramento, Shelton? My Sacramento P 
pick would be who you just mentioned. I think I would take uh, Tobias Harris. I think he has the most talent on the board. I think if he had came in um, on a squad, he was, you know, he's a journeyman basically now. And that's because it was hard to try to find him a fit. But I think a team where he could have came in and immediately done what he, what he does, he'd be straight. And I think he would have been good there because they really didn't have anybody on that Sacramento roster that was of note other than Tyreek Evans at the time. So DeMarcus Cousins at the five. So I think he would have slid right in at that three, four, that tween and roll with that team and been running. And that would have been the guy. So Tobias is my guy. Next pick is Detroit, and that goes to B. That's crazy how that shit fall right on me. Yep. I'm, I'm picking for Detroit pick. That's fucking hilarious. And, yeah, this I'm roster. Was, y'all took Brandon Knight. Who you, who you taking in the This region? roster was freaking horrible, man. Oh, my God. This this was this was definitely when we was about to rebuild. And, um, I mean, we're definitely I'm, – I'm like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm drafting this as if I'm a GM right now and, I'm, and y'all picking the players that y'all picking. And of course, knowing what we know now, uh, and we're definitely soft at the at the at the front court because we had Ben Wallace pass his prime, we had <laughs> fucking Chris Wilcox, we had Greg Greg Monroe that was eh, he was just coming off his rookie year, and we had Jason Max Maxell. So I would pick knowing that what I know now. What's I can't pronounce his name? Nikolai Benjoala. Vucevic. Yeah, Vucevic. I will get him. I will get him. Knowing what I know now and what this roster needed, I, I would def, I would, I would draft him. I was going to get if, – if Tobias Harris would have fell down to me because, yeah, we still needed like a small forward type of player too, and I was looking at the other Morris twin. but um, And I was also looking at Alex Burks too, but mm, I feel like, I feel like uh, Vucevic, is de- Vucevic is definitely the – Best pick, and he's a, he's definitely a good solid double double big guy. Um, he's a good he's a good free throw shooter to be yep. his size too. He shoots like damn near eighty percent. That's great for a center. Um, so yeah, that, that's I'm going with that pick. I'm going with that pick. All right, cool. So I agree with that pick. I think that's a good pick for a rebuilding team because essentially it's just like Orlando when they took him. Yeah, yeah. What the hell did Orlando have? They were they were post Dwight. You know what I'm yep. saying? Yep. So, yeah. I'll you. All right, so Ken, number nine, you got Charlotte. Who you taking? Damn. So I was hoping B wouldn't pick uh, Vucevic because I really wanted him um, for this Charlotte team. <laughs> um, they they are a hot mess in terms of roster. They uh, I mean, when I look at it, they got Maggette, uh Tyrus Thomas, and Augustine was still there. So I think he could be serviceable. Uh, they need a shooting guard and a center. So I'm going to go with Jonas Valanciunas. Okay. Um, and hope that DJ Augustin can hold it down uh, for now. Because I was looking at Brandon Knight, but um, I think I'm going to go on the inside – and uh and solidify that that interior uh for Charlotte. But but um so at number 10 I have the Indiana Pacers and looking at their roster uh obviously Paul George was was young, Danny Granger was coming off an of injury and, and and trying to reestablish himself the year prior they took Tyler Hansborough. You still got Roy Hibbert um 
you know, it, I think this is a team that's on the cusp. At the point guard position, we got TJ Ford and Darren Collison. Um, here they got PG as a two, also Mike Dunleavy as a two. But when I look at everything that I have left, um, for me, I think the player that I'm taking would be Amon Shumpert. Um, and the reason why I would take Amon Shumpert here is because I feel that Danny Granger, you know, at this point in his career, didn't have the um, perimeter defense needed anymore. And I think if you, with Paul George's offense ascending, um, and I know, you know, my point guard situation is borderline at best. I know Amon could slide over there, definitely guard those tougher ones. That's who I would take because I think pairing him with Paul George at that point in their career would have, would have made us an even more defensive juggernaut. Hey, FIFA, when you look at the rosters, you're doing 2011 and 12? No, 10-11. 10-11? Yeah. Yeah. You got to do 10-11. Yeah, because I, I, at first I looked at 11-12, but then after I heard B, it's 10-11. It's yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. Mm-hmm. But all righty. So moving on to pick number 11. Hold on, let me go back to this. What team is that? That's the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, Golden State. So you got Golden State, Nick. Who you taking? You start of, I'm, I'm pissed because you took Iman. I wanted to take Iman because that's the next, I guess, the next best thing for what they needed um, as a Clay Thompson replacement. Um, but looking at this roster, uh, they still have Monte Ellis. They still got Steph, and they actually still got David Lee coming. Um, I think this is when he got traded from New York to Golden State. So I think to pair with that, I'm going to go with Enos Cantor um, just because you get uh, – you pretty much get a big man that can rebound and can give you some off offensive buckets. He's not going to provide you that much with defense, but I think that um, – as far as rebounding and that offensive presence, I think that's good enough for the 11th pick of the draft. All right. So number 12 is Utah. Shelton, who are you taking? And, and Nick, you picked Markeith, right? No, I picked Marcus. You picked Marcus? Okay, yeah. good. I was My pick was actually going to be Ennis if, if he made it past you just now. But I'm going to pick Markeith. Uh, and the reason why I'm picking Markeith, the other twin, the other Mars twin, is because this team, like we said before, with this roster, is pretty loaded in Utah. Um, um, B picked uh, Clay Thompson, so we we got the, the shooting guard position pretty much solidified. We're pretty solid across the board. The only per other person I was thinking about maybe was Reggie Jackson, maybe, but I think Markeith learning behind Paul Mills hat and maybe. Derek Favors playing more than five, I think he'd be good, a good fit here on this team because he can kind of go between the three and the four. That's what's up. All right, so number 13 is Phoenix, and that goes to B. Who are you taking in Phoenix, B? All right, so looking at this roster there, they are definitely in need of a small forward. Um, this roster is kind of terrible too, though, but – Definitely in need of a small forward or someone that can shoot the rock. Because, like I said, yeah, he the Turkaloo, passes prime. This was right before um, Nash was about to go to L.A. 
um, past his prime. Um, you had an aging Grant Hill. Uh, uh, you had a Josh Childers who was getting ready to go to the over play overseas. He was about to be done in the, in the NBA. So my pick, and I um, I had a feeling nobody was gonna get him, but knowing what I know now, I'm picking uh, Boja Badanovic. Wherever I used to I was gonna say he's the only one left. I thought you were gonna say Chandler Parsons. Oh no no no! I was Bo, Boja Bondanovic. He's a, he's a small four. He's six eight six nine guy. Can shoot that bad boy. He's mm. he, I mean his his average has been going up every single year. He's been consistently you know slowly increasing. So yeah, that's what I he he'd be on my Phoenix squad on this Phoenix squad. Uh, what pick is that again? Thirteen. Yep. Phoenix Suns. And then uh, <laughs> Ken is pissed. So, who are you taking for Houston, Ken? Oh, man. He, he kind of messed me up because um, the Rockets <laughs> this year, they got Lowry, Drogic, Kevin Martin. Um, they needed a small forward, and and uh, he was going to be my guy. Uh, they had Scola, and then Yao Ming. Remember, Yao Ming got hurt. That was yep. his last year. So I guess at this point, um, mm, damn, yeah, you, you messed me up, B. Uh, <laughs> My bad. Uh, um, let me hold on. Let me see what I got on my my big board here. There's a name that you can still take. Oh, uh, man. Uh, let me get uh, let me get Tristan Thompson, man. I'll take Tristan Thompson. Um, we lost Yao Ming. I know I'll get uh, defense uh, in terms of rebounding blocks. He can uh, guard the perimeter. He can switch out. Um, you know, if – well, this was – I don't know if they were doing all the stuff they were doing now, but we've seen him guard guys on, on the perimeter. So, given my need at uh, center – But that was still 40. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, take, uh, I'll take Tristan Thompson. Ah, oh, B jacked me up, though. I thought you was going to go with uh, Miritich. Nah, because I already have uh, Scola. Miritich don't play defense. All he does is really shoot. And Scola was putting up like 18 points a game. I don't know what he did the year after, but, you know, he was – he was he, he did play well at, his, at that fourth spot. Yeah. Um, yeah I so, could have went with Chandler Parsons, but he broke down. Yeah, he, yeah, he injury riddled. There's too many injuries. After his fifth year – so you got him on his rookie deal. <laughs> After that fifth year, let him go. Don't re-sign him. Now we, we'll go because Kenya Mar- Ke- uh, Kevin Martin was putting up twenty three. We got Drogic. Um So yeah, we'll we'll make it. We'll make it work. Yeah, and, and, and we know Tristan to be like a, a, a crazy rebounder. So I, any team, like he 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 instantly makes any team that just a little bit better, just because he can rebound at that rate. Um, so the last. Um, pick is me in this redraft, and it is the Milwaukee Bucks at number 15. When I look at this roster, I'm just like, what is the direction? Now you mean the Pacers? At number 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Wait, hold on. Am I triple? So I had two Pacers picks. Hold on. Some GM. How much do you want them to pay? I know. Oh, 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 oh. my bad, my bad, my bad. I, 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 my bad. Oh, you want me to pay you half a mil for this? <laughs> hey, Ken, you just need to keep Tristan Thompson away from them Kardashians. You be straight, all right? <laughs> Wait, hold on. So who who did I draft at number 10? Number 10 was the Bucks. Oh. See, okay, so I messed up. So I was drafting um, 10 for the Pacers, not Milwaukee. So you can't take cool. it back now. No, nah, I can't take it back. But Iman still works with the damn Milwaukee Bucks anyway. Um, so I'm looking at the Pacers, and I have what I have left. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Let me see. Um, that's easy. Uh, for me – Hold on, let me see. One more thing, one more time. I'm going to say, damn, that really threw me off. I'm going to take. That really threw me off. I'm going to take. I'm going to take Meritick um, because the Pacers, even though they have Mike Dunleavy um, that can go play small ball four, he just – he mentally, he, he he was never ready for that. And I think adding the EuroLeague MVP um, to that Pacers squad to have a legit stretch four because, again, Mike Dunleavy, he, could, he can play stretch four, but even though that wasn't his thing, Tyler Hansborough – 15-foot range. We know Roy Hibbert is going to be around the basket. Um, Jeff Foster as well. So they didn't have a guy that can really stretch the defense. So to me, I'm taking Meritick uh, for the Pacers. That's a good fit. Yep. Damn, so I took Iman for the Milwaukee Bucks at number 10, which I still think he was the best player available. But, um, man, the Bucks, that, that that's a horrible roster, man. I think See, that I, wanted Iman, I wanted Iman for Golden State. That's why I was like, I was pissed when you said his name because he would have been perfect with Golden State at that position. Yeah, but but like looking looking at this, I, he still fits because we're talking. Okay, they have Michael Red. I don't know, man. Like 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 this roster has like no direction. But I think Iman will come in and, and, and fit in at that one two position with them. So it still fits. Y'all want to do five more? We got a little time. I know FIFA, you had a hard out, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. But I, I, I would rather talk about the Jordan stuff. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll revisit this because we got uh, what what's the next one they wanted us to do? Twenty thirteen, twenty twelve, twelve and thirteen. So we'll just do twenty twelve next time then. Mm-hmm. But uh. That's our draft. Y'all let us know in the comments who won that draft, who's the best GM. Obviously, FIFO out because he uh, – <laughs> <he forgot. laughs> No, it's still, still work. We're going to move on to the, to the probably most talked about documentary outside of Tiger King this year so far. This is the last dance. Um, covering the final championship of the 90s Bulls run. 
first thoughts uh, coming out of that. Uh, the they released the first two episodes. So first thoughts after the second episode. Wow, it was for me. It was everything I thought it would be, and I can't wait to see the next one. I, you know, what's crazy is. You know, when we talk about it, I don't know how y'all tell people about it, but I don't say, are y'all watching that Bulls documentary? I'm like, are you watching the Jordan documentary? Because that's really what it was. It was mm. Jordan and them. But it was it was good, man. It was good. It, it was it was what I thought it would be. Um, you know what was interesting, a thought that went through my head? Yeah, I, I definitely found it entertaining. Um, you know, most of the stuff, you know, I, you know, knew. Um, but I like the way they kind of put it together to to kind of set a narrative and to, to follow through with it. I thought it was dope, and they're really building it so far early on around uh, Jerry Krause. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's what I've gathered. We'll see where it goes from here. But I love the backstory. I loved Pippen's backstory, man. And what I found most interesting is that the guys that are really, really hungry are driven. When, 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 when you talk about getting it out of the mud, that, that's it. Like, you have to go through adversity. There has to be something in you that drives you to just be great. And it could be family. It could be, you know, as, as the case of Pippen, just getting out of the house, you know, to, to escape from the realities of his world. And using that to drive him, taking a bad contract um, as well. And one thing that popped in my head when they were showing the 63-point game against the Celtics and, was that people talk about that game, but oftentimes they never mention the fact that he lost. Right. Yeah. And, and I, didn't, I, I forgot that he lost. <laughs> he lost both of those games, putting up 49 and 63 points. Yep. Yeah. And and when that Patson shot went in, I know that wasn't the beginning of him trusting his teammates, but it felt like it was going to be because they won the game without him. But um, but yeah, I was just thinking, I don't know why that popped in my head, but yeah, it's a great thing. But I would just imagine if that was any other player in today's world, Kevin Durant, Curry, whatever, LeBron, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. Uh People would definitely mention the loss, but they don't do that with Jordan. I think that signifies to me that he really is held in such this high esteem, like this high regard, like he's basically a basketball god, that they don't even care about that. And another thing too, Ken, you know what you know what they fail to mention too is in those those two games that he scored a whole bunch of points and lost, they don't mention the game after sixty three. He only scored nineteen points and he fouled out. He got him. like pretty much DJ locked him up. Like you know, he did a good job of containing him, and he, and he fouled out. But they they always fail to mention that shit every time. But he, like you said, they they put him in so high regard that it's like, oh, sixty three points, a playoff record. Like, but you lost the game. And it's amazing to me that I ain't gonna say amazing because I remember this back in the day too. But like the fact that they used to award player of the games, no matter if the team or the or the player won or lost. You know, usually now if you look in kind of recent years. You ain't going to be awarded player of the game unless your team won. But, like, Jordan was awarded player of the game. Right. Both but, of those games, but, and, they but, still, but, and they still lost. That's crazy. Let me comment on that. One thing about that, though, is if you look at it, the it wasn't just the people that felt that way. Bird said it. Bird said that was God that we played against. So when you got people on the court that felt that way about that game, that's why he was 
held in such high regard. So what this fans that said it was Jordan that did this, it was the, the, the opposing team that was saying, I can't believe this man scored 63 on us, and we couldn't stop it. So that's what that just talks about just how the, the mentality or the mindset of the media uh, was back then versus now, because now you have more voices mm -hmm. that's contributing to the conversation with social mm -hmm. media. You have the hot take media now as well yep. on the debate show. So I guarantee that somebody somewhere would point that out instead of like acknowledging what this guy was able to do, especially coming off a broken damn foot. True, yeah. and, and, and I think the other thing, too, that we have to take into account in terms of context is that the shape of how we view what a successful career is or a dominant career in the NBA is was still being shaped, right? Because as good as Magic was and as good as Bird was, right, Collectively, they dominated the league, but individually, they really didn't dominate the league. They didn't dominate commercialism. They didn't dominate a lot of those other things. So kind of when Jordan, like we started to put into context what he was accomplishing, he became the standard because there was no standard prior to. Like, like there was no standard like, okay, this is the GOAT. This is what you got to do to become GOAT status. We didn't right. talk about basketball in that context until after MJ. Because it was a lot about team, right? And that was one of the things that Bird said. They, um, it's almost like they knew he was going to go get his because he was probably really all they had. But he said it. We just stuck to the game plan and we won. <laughs> and we won, yeah. You got to think. You got to think. This was the 86 Celtics. This is like one of the teams that's considered one of the top teams in NBA history, the 86 Celtics. So it's like – What is it, five Hall of Famers? Yeah. Five Hall of Famers. You also look at their record. They were 67 and 15. The Bulls made it to the playoffs with 30 wins. There, right. there was no – if the Bulls would have won one game in that series. That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. My, my, one of my takeaways from this documentary is just the relationship between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Um, I love the fact that Jordan always says you, – if you ever mention Michael Jordan, you got to mention Scottie. Like he always give him – his props and how he couldn't have won those titles without him. However, during that last year, that season, he was, he had his gripes against Scotty based off of him taking that surgery so late um, based off of just some decisions Scotty was making. But from Scotty's standpoint, it was like, I'm trying to be compensated for my time here, my, my role here. I'm one of the greatest players of all time. But my, you're only getting paid more than me. Exactly. And he said, I'm like, how the hell do you sign a seven-year, $18 million contract? Like, But you got to think, I mean, at the time, I, I give Scotty a little pass because, you know, with the situation with his dad and his brother, you know, he he probably saw that 18 mil and was like, oh, shit, I, I, can, I can do a lot with my family with this. But, yeah. yeah. I mentioned, you know, I mentioned, but I mentioned yeah. Jordan. But obviously, he found out quick that that contract was shit. Right, right, right. And I right, mentioned right. Jordan's gripes against him for that. It's like, bro, you're literally the biggest superstar in the world right now. Like, you don't have to worry about some of the shit that I got to worry about. I would think that Jordan, based on their relationship, would understand that and, and maybe even try to extend some help to him because obviously Jordan is a great businessman. He can somehow, some way, talk to management or something. He, I felt like Jordan could have done something, but he didn't. And business. he called him selfish. Exactly. Yeah. No. That contract didn't say Michael Jeffrey Jordan. It says right. Scottie Pippen. You know what I'm saying? So at That's the end, your boy, though. 
But it doesn't matter though. It, he's my boy on the court, off the court, in business. You 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 gotta handle your own affairs. Like you got you you're the one that has to be able to. You're the one that has to be able to navigate all of that, right? Because at the end of the day, like, what it look like if I'm KD? Hey, Steph, you think I should? You think I should sign this contract? What? No, bro. You are your own entity. You need to handle your. No, business. I'm talking about. I'm talking about as far as. You understand what the holdout that Scotty was trying to do? Like Jordan has to go up to man. Just like remember when um, I don't know if whoever did this for the Cowboys when Emmitt Smith held out, and then they were somebody went up to manage like, bro, we need to get this dude in in the building. Do what you ever got to do to to make sure that he's Football's good. It's a little different though, because the contracts are not guaranteed. You can move money around. You you can do a lot of stuff, right? The NBA is a little bit different. If that's what he signed to, and you agreed to terms, when you agreed to terms. It is your job to be out here on this basketball court. I'm talking like I'm Michael to help me win these damn basketball games. You are under contract. You could have been, you know, taking that. I felt Jordan, but I also felt Pippen. Like I felt them. Like, hey, bro, I'm not gonna mess up my summer. Y'all, must, y'all don't even care about me like that. Exactly. I, I understood it. I understood both perspectives. If I was Scotty, I, I probably would have handled it the same way. If I was MJ, I would have I, I would have said the same exact things. Hey, bro, you should have been did that. And you should have been here at the beginning of the season, ready to go. Yeah, eighteen million to a guy that, that probably was on a dirt road—that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, can't yeah, can't see what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. To, to yeah, but I'm but you people yeah. back then in the '80s, bro. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like look at Pippen and call it stupid. It's just like thinking like Ken said. Look at the situation he was coming getting out of. Yeah, that 18 million out of seven years. At that time, that shit looked like it was a lot of money. This was what 87, 88, or whatever when he signed that. That I mean. I can't fault him. Now his agent should have probably went back up and like, okay, let's let's re when they won like the first title or something. All right, let's go. Let's renegotiate some things here. Like let's let's talk some shit because this eighteen million in seven years. That's like, what I'm thinking. Shit. That's what I'm thinking. Like this is towards the sixth title, so they've won five already, and he's still right. on that whack ass so deal. Like, agent, that, I mean, at that point, eight, yeah, eight, it's also up to the owner too. If the owner yeah. says, "Look, this is what you are contractually." obligated to then you just got to do what you got to do if he's not willing to renegotiate and they, right. they said it in the doc like we already knew jerry kraus and the owner jerry reinsdorf this is your contract this is what you're gonna play for so going off of that this the first two episodes heavily criticized jerry kraus and just the bulls organization uh management level do y'all feel like he was bashed too harshly because oh i said i said that because because I'm looking at it from nowadays. We talk about the Bill Belichick thing. And yeah, I think someone mentioned in the doc that you'd rather get some rid of someone earlier than later. It felt like he was like, this run is going to end, and I want to catch it earlier before it ends too – before I can rebuild it, it's too late. You know what I mean? So I don't think that he got unjust uh, dude, um, and, and I don't think that they bashed him too hard. I, I think it was very fair because – he was the one after Jordan's second year. It's like, oh, okay. So he is legit. They went and got Pippen. They went and uh, they drafted Pippen. They got Horace Grant. Like, like, like they started to make moves. Jerry Krause was the one, one of the first people to go overseas and actually bring somebody back that can actually hoop and Tony Kukoc. Um, so, so I think he got a lot of praise. 
Um, in terms of the Bill Belichick thing moving off of somebody a year too early versus a year too late, Jordan was still, you know, it was funny. Me and my homie Nigel, we were just talking about this. Jordan and LeBron at year 35 were still dominant enough to not get rid of them. They didn't fall off a cliff. Jordan wasn't off a cliff. Jordan wasn't the young Jordan no more. He wasn't, you know, jumping two, three, you know, jumping over two or three people, yamming on people and stuff like that. But he was still dominant. Um, they were still winning. So to me, if I'm the owner and I'm the GM, I would take it on a year or two basis. I'm not going to commit long-term to guys that are 35, 36, 37. Hell no, that, that's dumb as hell as an organization. But we're winning. Why, why, why rebuild it for the next thing when we can possibly win one or two or maybe three more championships out of it? So and not even, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Not even just that. He's putting butts in the seats and he's selling jerseys. He's selling merchandise. These, these people are making money hand over fist. Let him do what he do. Just let leave him light, man. How, however long you want to be here. Yep. So, so to me, like the whole Phil Jackson thing, I would have gave him, you know, one year, six million, eight million, whatever would have made Phil Jackson happy. And I would have told him, I said, hey, we're just going to go year to year as long as we can keep the band together. Jordan, you want 33? You know what? Next year I'm going to give you 30, but, but, I'm, but we got to pay Pippen, though. And we got to pay Phil. So, so if y'all want to keep it together, this, these are the, the sacrifices you're going to have to I, – I, as ownership and GM – I wouldn't have taken that control over. I would have been like, look, we are a great organization. And when I mean we, I mean the players. I mean us here in the office as well. I mean Jordan. Jordan. Whatever. All I'm saying is, is as ownership in the GM, I would have gave the power to the players and the head coach. My top two guys, hey, what do y'all want to do? Y'all want to come back next year? By all means, I'll give you a one-year deal, however much money, and I'm going to give Phil the same thing. But why would you why would you do that now when you've never done it before? Basically, I'm asking because he's the one who set up this whole thing, really. All the moves and even during this season, how he traded Oakley to Cartwright and all that. No, no, because no. He, the wait, hold on. The Oakley move was early on. It wasn't that it was like eighty six, eighty seven, something exactly. like that. Exactly. It was after Jordan's rookie year, um, that he moved on from Oakley after Scotty's rookie year. Center. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty's rookie year. Exactly, Scotty's. Let me slap Scotty. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so Jerry Krause made a <laughs> lot of moves, but in in that third three peat, or at least going to me, I just think that you needed to do year to year because obviously you weren't going to commit a five year contract to Michael Jordan at age thirty five. You but just weren't going to commit none of that, none of like extended period of time. And even Phil Jackson, you know, the way he is, he only wanted seven years total with the Bulls. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I think that the top three guys, Pippen, Jordan, and Phil Jackson, understood that we're winning because of those three right there. You know what I'm saying? And I think that if those three would have said, yeah, I'm going to come back next year. You want to come back? You want to come back? And they all would have said, we'll take one year deals. Then that, that, that's what you do. Because with those three guys, you are competing for a championship. And the first time that they lose, guess what? As management, now you have an out. You know what? We had our run. We won six titles in seven years. And now it's just time for something new. And nobody right. would have been mad at that. But right. because you're trying to force the issue when you're still winning and literally still the best team in the NBA. Well, what are you doing? And, and I think what, what you – what 
I, I don't know if people are going to pick this up, but what you learned is that the players had no power. No power. None then. It wasn't a player's league. It was owners, GMs. That's it. So, you know, and as, as Kyle's pointing out in the chat, um, once you're in a, in, a, in a contract, there's no renegotiating and stuff like that. You, you know, the CPA, I don't re- recall it like that, but he said it was, pretty, it was terrible. So, you know, you were at the mercy of the organizations. So if they wanted Phil gone, then that was it. And it sounded crazy to me at the time. I was happy they were breaking that shit up because I was getting tired of the shit anyway. But, um, and, and, but you know, even back then I felt, ah, you know, they'll win it. They'll, cha- they'll have a change of heart and come back. Nah, man, he was, he was dead ass serious. And, and, and that's what we got. But, yeah, I think people need to kind of look at, like, how things really were back then versus how they are now. Yep. and do a compare and contrast because I think you'll see how how really the advantage that the players are in right now. And then also when you look at the fact that they wanted to move on from that Bulls team, what have they been since? Right. Yep. And, and that, was, that was another takeaway I had is that Kraus, you know, obviously coming from the baseball, uh, you know, sport where it is organizations truly, you know, he misjudged what um what Jordan was able to accomplish as as one guy. Yeah, Krauss was great in building the right roster around him, but Krauss also may have been looking at that Celtics team that had like four or five, you know, Hall of Famers on that team. Um that was organization driven. The Lakers somewhat seemed very organizational driven, even though they had superstars as well. But you know, with the Bulls, it was MJ Pippen driven. And, of course, uh, Phil Jackson. Then there was everybody else that came along after it. The last thing I have is I thought it was interesting when Jordan did the interview, and even I forgot this, how the Sixers were looked at back then. They're often, from what I recall and what I see now, they're not normally mentioned with the Bulls and, and, I mean, with the Celtics and the Lakers back then. But it was interesting hearing Jordan say that, y'all want to turn the Bulls into a respected organization like the Sixers, Lakers, and Celtics. I thought that was an interesting soundbite. Well, because I, th- I think that Dr. J was the first MJ. And I think that yeah. black and American. Scotty, it, Scotty it, mentioned it, that too. Yeah, so I think that's kind of where that comes from. And then also you look at all of the legends that, that went through Philly. But Most I agree. Long, yeah. Like people don't necessarily talk about Philly – at that level, but bro, they had Moses, that Dr. J, yep. um, Maurice Cheeks, was he best Cheeks, yep. on that team? They, they had, they had a Al lot. Of Greer. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 yeah, but yeah, and that's 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 what I was saying is like they they're forgotten, they they're forgotten, but they were a really successful franchise and won titles back then. You, One you of the best because they weren't they weren't necessarily. They were almost like pre-San Antonio, where they never really won back-to-back. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't necessarily dominate like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, they were dominant. Yes, they were a good organization. Yeah, they had Hall of Famers. But even Detroit won back-to-back. You know what I'm They never won back-to-back. And I think that's kind of what hurt them. Yeah, Philly kind of snuck theirs in, in between the Celtics and the Lakers. Yep, yep. Yep. Uh, one of the best quotes I got from the doc was uh, – I forgot who said it, but he was like, I think Michael Jordan 
doing his job is better than anybody else doing their job in reference to Krause. So I think Krause, there is a lot to respect him for. Um, however, I do think he undervalued all of his – he was just basically like the old school way of base, basketball organizations being run, like y'all mentioned. Like it's I'm the one who's controlling everything. I put this together. Y'all not winning titles before me. Jordan didn't win before me type stuff. Um, so I think he took a, he he had a big ego in that. Um, you him though. Because I, that's, why, that's why I asked that question because I'm like he did put this team together and as a GM you always look forward. You're always thinking this year and five years from now. And I I I don't I I do think that he overvalued himself, but it's not by that much. Like I I think he sh- he should be. I, it's it's funny that I don't really know his name like that, and learning about everything that he's done is like why why isn't he spoken as like one of the fifth names when you talk about Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, Dennis Rock. Like you know what I'm saying you go you know all these names, but Jerry Krause is like a name that you don't really mention that much. I didn't know that they just outwardly clowned a man like that. That that was interesting. Cussed his ass out and did everything like. I don't know many places where a black man can cuss out a white man and get away with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, like, especially back then, that was that was yeah. crazy, man. Like, there's not a job I know where you can go cuss out your boss. He was yeah, away with that shit. He was like, he was like, uh, Cross, you gonna do layups with us? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, we got to lower the rim. <laughs> yeah, man. Pippen cussing mm-hmm. him out to the point. Phil was like, hey, man, you gotta cut that shit out, bro. Like, that's that's insane, man. But you know. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting and insane is that the, how straight edge Jordan was, or I guess try to portray himself. Cause he talked about that time he going to that room at that hotel and he see cocaine, weed and women. And he talking about some, I'm out. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. The, the, what I did when I was watching, I was like, let me go see who was on that team as rookie year. And consider how bad they were. I, I kind of got and understood why they were doing what they were doing. Again, it was just a job for them. They really didn't care. They were doing something they loved for fun, got paid to do it. It wasn't a lot of money, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, what something else that they could have been doing. And um, But, yeah, it was Orlando Wooldridge was on that team, mm-hmm. and it was uh, somebody else. Uh, I, I recognize Orlando. I can't remember any of the other guys like that. I mean, I was freaking eight you know, when Jordan was drafted. So I don't recall a lot of shit back then. Yeah. I, you know, like one of the biggest takeaways that I, I, I that I had from this whole thing was um, the fact that the, the, the mystique of the Bulls was so great that nobody outside of, you know, if, if, if you were Associated Press or, you know, a writer or beat writer, so like, the people that knew knew, but to the outside, this was like unbreakable. Like, I, like growing up, I always thought the bond between Pippen and Jordan was unbreakable. Like they always saw things eye to eye. Like mm. just that 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 mystique. Like this literally uncovered everything. You know, and we're only two. We're two out of ten in. You know what I'm saying? And I and and obviously growing up being older I kind of knew that but if I just go back to when I was a kid because think about it Jordan was drafted the year I was born so I didn't the Jordan I saw was the Jordan winning championships you know what I'm saying so when I turned six is when he won his first one and that's when I started watching basketball so I saw Jordan as the 
the winner. Yeah, you I, I didn't fully form. Exactly. I didn't. I didn't see all of the you trials. See the trials. You didn't see, yeah, you prior didn't see the struggle, to. Jordan. Exactly. You know, and obviously being older and not having YouTube, I went back to go see it. But to but to hear it and see it through his eyes, through his perspective, it was different. Like it, it that again that mystique. It was just like damn. It 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 was great, but it wasn't that great. Like in terms of everything that was happening, you know. So that was very interesting for me. You know why? Because the media isn't the media wasn't what it eventually became. Because Sports right. Center wasn't really all that big at that right. time, so you didn't have um, this uh, statewide international coverage. You know, a lot of it was very, very local. So if you were in Chicago, you got those stories from the beat writers. Um, but if you were not, then you're not really going to hear that much of it unless you got like a. Uh, uh, USA Today or whatever paper, e- even if they covered it on a on a wider scale like that. But yeah, a lot of it was local. But ESPN, when they came along, man, and and when Jordan really became a superstar, it started to change everything. So now you started to hear not only news from the Bulls, but everybody else. Yeah. So you heard all those discontent and stories. And but back in the day, they were able to kind of keep a lot of that stuff silent. Yep. Uh, one of the last questions I got for y'all is. Did y'all know like Phil Jackson how he w- had a theme? Was that was that uh, well documented that he themed every season pretty much? Even this one as far as the Last Dance. Mm-mm. I didn't know that, and I grew up in Chicago. I didn't. And, know and to me, because I was like, that's that's interesting because it's like how they they all knew. It's, it's very rare that a dynasty knows when it's gonna end, right? that you all know, like, this is it, enjoy it, because after this, we're, we're done. And for them to still execute from the beginning of the season with all the stuff and the craziness of business and contracts, dealing the summer, going all the way into the beginning of the season, and how Jordan had to basically just redefine the Bulls for the last run to start off the year, like how Phil was still able to coach through that. And to me, it, it added another layer of respect that I have for Phil as a coach as far as, like, with all that was beaten on him, he still was – I know they, they had that one scene where he slammed the door shut after a few losses, but still he, he sounded calm and, and that leadership role that you would want from your head coach. Like, I, I think that was just uh, something that stood out to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, think no, I agree. The point that B was making, like, you can't undermine the value – of a great coach because it's not just about getting on you. It's not about pointing out what you do good or what you do uh, bad. It's about having that calming factor because bro, in a basketball game and sports, whatever, whatever sport you play, you're going to be in situations that are crazy that are going to be emotionally, you know, all over the place. Um, And you need one or more entities. And typically that's your coach to be able to bring that calm factor. All right, cool. That happened to worry about it. This is how we're going to win. You know what I'm saying? And always instilling that confidence. And that's why Jordan didn't win before having Phil. That's the reason why the Lakers didn't win before the Kobe Shaq Lakers didn't win before having Phil. That's why Phil is who he is because in professional sports, it's more than X's and O's. It's about managing egos and expectations. And I can honestly say that in my lifetime, there has not been another coach, maybe Bill Belichick, that's been greater at managing egos and getting everybody on the same page to accomplish one thing. 
Yeah. I, uh, he's definitely up there for me. I don't know. I got to look at the list again, but yeah, I, I, you'll be hard pressed to find anybody better than Phil. Uh, any other last thoughts on the first two episodes of the doc? Or do y'all like where it's going so far? Like as far as how it's setting everything up? Yeah, honestly, you know, the, one of the main things that I like is how they show different timelines, right? Like different years and how something like in 98 was triggered by something in, in, in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? And something that happened in the 80s, you see, oh, in 92, like this was a direct correlation to that. Like I, I, I liked how they kind of jumped all over the place, but they kind of kept one line of sight. You know what I'm saying? So I thought that yeah, was Yeah, because really it, it looked like they're going to do that with the next episode, how they're going to tie in like wherever he was going with trying to get past the Pistons. That mm-hmm. leads to the 97, 98 years. So I'm, I'm me as a Pistons fan, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that. How they gonna talk about like the bad boy, the the his bad boy struggles before he had to cross over that hurdle to 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 get to where he's at. So and one more thing, even though you know B's birthday is the 30th of this month and it's canceled, mine is the 26th and it's canceled. The fact that part two is coming out on my birthday, that's a nice consolation prize. I, I, I'll take it. <laughs> so you would take it, huh? I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. I'm looking forward to that shit, man. Like, I mean, you know, as a basketball fanatic, as someone that's like a huge fan of basketball itself, I'm I'm interested in, in this documentary, no question. But as someone that wasn't really a fan of Jordan, I'm like, man, fuck Jordan. I'm like, fuck the Bulls, fuck whatever, whatever. That's that's the like that's the half side. Like the half of me. It's looking at is looking at the other half like man why the fuck are you watching this but then the other half is like yo man but you fucking love basketball this is your love right here like so like yeah and like I like to see like the minds of great basketball players rather than even if it's players that I'm not really a fan of like Jordan I want to know what, what what makes Jordan tick I want to see what makes Scottie Pippen tick like what's gonna make Rob like I just I like seeing stuff like that and hearing players talk about that and getting their perspective from certain situations so and and even back then. He was talking shit about tanking. What we know is tanking. Right. What we know is tanking now. Yeah. 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 Like, man. And always coming to play. Like, Mm. always coming to play. Like, you know that somebody in that's in that arena, people or person, have never seen you play before. I'm about to go out and give it 150% every time. And even off of coming, like, an injury that could destroy his career, like when he broke his foot. Like, Talking about how he would sneak and play with the what the college uh, athletes and yeah. like some pickup games and how that yeah. increased. like man you just you you always want to hoop you just all I mean you 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 live and bleed that shit that's all you want to do you don't want to take no games off you don't want to take oh let me since we got a back to back let me go rest on this day like all you want to do is freaking hoop and that's what that's what you got to do that's what that's what you are you a hooper you hoop so I I love it man I love that. All right, that's all I got for us today. Cool. Yeah, cool. Well, we appreciate you guys showing up uh, again to um, watch us while we're in the middle of this pandemic, man. Um, and, um, yeah, we're talking about doing something for the draft live, so that's in discussion, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, for now, we'll catch you guys next Monday. Uh, make sure you guys subscribe just in case we do go live because you never know. You don't want to miss never out. Never know, right? You so, never. It might pop yeah. up. You might get that notification. Oh shit, we live. Mm-hmm. Turn, pop us on your TV, son. Don't watch it on your phone. Yep. <laughs> so we we'll catch y'all next time. We out. Peace. Peace.
Peace. Peace.